This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, at the half hour, we'll have a visit from Red Skelton and see who he'll become tonight. Willie Lump Lump, Clem Cadiddlehopper, or Senator Cleghorn. Well, whoever he betrays will be guaranteed to provide some laughs. But our first program centers on science fiction and the program X-1. It was an American half-hour science fiction radio drama series broadcast from April 24th of 55 to January 9th of 1958 in various time slots on NBC, it was known for high production values in adapting stories from the leading American authors of the era. X-1 has been described as one of the finest offerings of American radio drama and one of the best science fiction series in any medium. Many of the stories were adaptations by NBC staff writers, including Ernest Canoy and George Lefertz. Uh, of newly published science fiction stories by leading writers in the field, including names you'll recognize, Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, and Robert A. Heinlein. We'll get to tonight's show in just a moment, but first a word about the genre itself. In the beginning of the 20th century amid the Industrial Revolution, science fiction was coming into its own. Many short stories by science fiction writers, such as Jules Verne, were commonly included in regular adventure and pulp magazines. In 1926, Hugo Gernsack founded the first American magazine dedicated exclusively to the emerging genre of science fiction called Amazing Stories. The pulp magazine features stories by well-known science fiction writers, including H.G. Wells, Jules Verne, and Edgar Allan Poe, but also introduced new authors and serials to the public. The first science fiction old-time radio shows were primarily adventure serial shows intended for juveniles co-opted with a scientific theme, most notably Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. These shows for children tended to glamorize scientific progress and featured larger-than-life heroes. Many science fiction enthusiasts consider 1950 to 1960 to be the golden era of science fiction. X-1 was truly one of the great science fiction radio shows. And now to tonight's episode entitled Junkyard. Countdown for blastoff. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1, fire.
From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of a future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, Junkyard, by Clifford D. Simak. The funny thing about the whole thing was the fact that we had never intended to land on Planet Nine. We circled it and decided it was strictly a low-grade affair. It wouldn't amount to anything for a billion years or so. As commander of the Galactic Survey Team, I couldn't waste my time on it. Then my exec saw this junkyard through the telescope. We landed. Took a look at a load of alien machine parts discarded by some other spaceship and then prepared to take off for Earth. It had all been a waste of time. Engine room, MacGyver. This is Commander Warren. All secure? Yes, sir. Very well. Count down for blastoff. Engine room ready, sir. X minus five. Minus four. Minus three. Minus two. Minus one. Fire. Mac, what's wrong down there? Uh, I don't know, sir. Brady, get the data analyzer ready. We'll have to correct for a new takeoff time. It's the first time I ever heard of engine failure before takeoff. Well, better before than after. Engine room? Yes, sir. What's happening? You boys ready yet? No, sir. Well, burn it, man. Get going. I want those engines started. Sir. What is it? I, I don't quite know what to say. Well, say something or I'll have you busted. We can't start the engines, Commander. At least I can. Well, why not? I don't know. Klein, put Klein on. Lieutenant Klein, sir. Lieutenant, what is going on down there? Is there something wrong with the engines? No, sir. I've double-checked them. Well, then let's get them heated up or we'll be on this godforsaken planet the rest of our lives. We can't do it, sir. Klein, suppose you tell me exactly why you can't start the engines. Can you do that? Yes, sir. All right, why? Because, sir, we can't remember how. What? Yes, sir. We've forgotten how to start the engine. Lieutenant, report up here in one minute. Bring Dr. Spencer with you. Yes, sir. All right, Brady. Where have you got it? Got what, Iron? Don't play, innocent. You and I have been doing planet surveys together for 15 years. You carry enough dead weight in grain alcohol on every trip to keep you happy for a million light years. Now, obviously, the boys in the engine room have gotten into it. Impossible. Where is it? I got a few pits in my locker, but nobody's touched it. I checked a few minutes ago. Well, then somebody has got some in the engine room. Come in. Lieutenant Klein, sir, I brought Dr. Spencer as ordered. Well, hello, Doc. Did Klein here tell you what's going on? He did. How long will it take you to get these guys sobered up? I can't. Why not? Because they're not drunk. I tested Klein in my office. Now, wait a minute, Doc. Are you trying to get me to actually believe that these men, intergalactic engineers with years of hyperficient experience, have forgotten how to start the engines of this ship? That's right. You... You're serious? Dead serious, Ira. Something, somehow has caused these men to forget how to start the engines. There it was. It fit in perfectly with a lot of other annoying little things that had been happening to us ever since we put down on Planet Nine. It was to have been a routine exploration of a low-grade, uninhabited planet. Some routine exploration. All right, Klein, now listen to me. Do you have manuals aboard? Engineering manuals? Yes, sir. Take the engine room boys and study those manuals. 
They'll tell you how to start the ship, won't they? Yes, sir. Okay, get going. Doc, I'd like you to stay here with me and Brady for a minute. Okay. Report back to me, Klein. Yes, sir. Okay, Doc, you're supposed to be an expert on space medicine. What is it? I've never seen anything like it, Ira. Brady? Search me, Captain. I've seen them with space blues, alien psychoses, the works. But I've never seen a disease that could make a crew forget how to start the engines. Maybe it isn't a disease. Okay, what then? Maybe it's a deliberate thing. You mean they're faking? No, I know Klein and the others too well for that. I mean, maybe there's some outside influence. Doc, we've surveyed this planet from top to bottom. We know there isn't a living cell on it. What about the junkyard? What junkyard? Oh, he means that pile of rusty space engine parts we found. The boys nicknamed it the junkyard. He's right. Somebody put it there. Well, we know that another spaceship landed here. We know that from the blast marks on the rock. We know that for some unexplained reason, they took their engine apart and tried to put it together again. We know they succeeded in building a much simpler engine, leaving a lot of spare parts, and we know that they took off. The blast-off marks tell us that, too. What we don't know is whether or not they left somebody behind. Or something. What about that stone tower, Ira? The boys looked it over. It's just a pile of stones. They probably threw them together as a shelter while they were rebuilding their engine. Oh, that sounds too simple. I don't like that tower, Ira. Why not? I don't know. It was scary. It had that black look about it. The smell of death. I felt it when I walked past with Klein and MacGyver. Oh, that's the Selden, you banshees and spooks. I still don't like it. I need a drink. Skip it. You should be ready to blast off in a few minutes. Engine room. Engine room. What's going on down there? Engine room. Lieutenant Klein. Daddy. Is that you, Daddy? Did you bring me a present? Daddy, I'm scared. Holy mackerel, that's Klein. He's gone off his rocker. Klein! Doc, I think we'd better get down to that engine room. When Doc examined Klein, he found him to have the mind and memory of a six-year-old. That's it, Ira. Something drained Klein of his memory. And that's as much as I can tell you. That's a big help. Here's the manual he was reading. Well, at least we can follow this manual and get off this stinking planet. Hand it to me. Right here. Uh, anything wrong, Ira? Is it all there? It's all here, Doc. You see the engine manual that tells all about the engine? How they operate, how to locate trouble, how to fix them, how to start them. Well, what is it, then? You're sweating like a pig. All of a sudden, I can't remember the symbols. Doc, I've forgotten how to read. I left the engine room and went out through the lock to stand on the outside platform of the ship. I looked over the junkyard where the metal of the rusted engine parts gleamed. There was a riddle there. A riddle we hadn't been able to figure out. Why had an alien spaceship landed here? ripped out its engines and then put together a simple, less efficient engine and taken off again. And they had worked in an awful hurry, judging by the mess they made. Why? Why? 95 join you, Ira? No, help yourself, Doc. How's Klein? We've made him some toys. He's playing with them. I've assigned Mac to see that he doesn't hurt himself. Doc. Yes, Have you got any ideas on what's happening to us? Well, man experiences incidents, gathers knowledge, knows emotions. Then, as he grows older, he begins to forget those experiences, forget that knowledge. That's what life is. 
a long series of forgettings. Here, online, in some impossible way, the forgetting is speeded up. It happens overnight. Oh, there's more to it than that. Well, I'm going back to my cabin and try to get some rest. And you, Ira? That's me, Batty. What gives? You're in a jam. There's been planets I wouldn't mind being marooned on, you know. But this ain't one of them. There's something here, Ira. I can feel it. I can feel it myself. Maybe we should have looked around more. Klein looked around. Klein was the one found that tower. Maybe that's why he did. He said he didn't like it. He said it scared him. In the morning, bad ears, we'll go and see that tower. In the morning, I took Doc and McIver and Brady with me, and we walked across the valley to the stone tower. It wasn't much of a tower. Maybe eight or nine feet high, made of rocks piled one on top of the other. Mm. Pretty solid, well-built, and odd. Type F culture, I'd say. Did anybody bother to look inside this thing? MacGyver, you were here with Klein yesterday. Yes, sir. We couldn't find a way in, Captain. Klein poked around but gave up. Well, we'll make a way in. Stand back. I think I can shoot the top off it. No, no, that should be big enough for a man to lower himself into. Okay, pass a rope around my shoulders. Uh, Captain. Yes, in case there's anything, well, dangerous, maybe I ought to go. After all, I'm survey engineer. MacIver's right, Ira. Okay, Mac, your responsibility. Yes, just fasten the rope under my arms. Mm-hmm. That's it. Now, I'll climb up and lower myself in. If I pull twice, haul me out. One pull means okay. Give me a hand, Brady. Huh? How about a quick shot of whiskey first? Never touch it. Mm-hmm. Ready? Yep. Can you see inside? Black as a tube. I'm going to lower myself. Pay out a little rope. Well, it's been lovely. Here we go. One tug. He's on the ground inside. I wonder what he's found. I still don't like it. Oh, Brady, there's probably not a thing in there except the... Two tugs. Three. Come on, haul him out. Brady, carry through the top. Right. Easy now, Mac. What the heck is in there, anyway? Mac? Mac? Dada? Dada? Holy jumping asteroids! Doc, he's flipped! No, he hasn't lost his mind. He's just reverted to babyhood. We stood there at the foot of the tower, stunned. MacIver sat on the ground, happy as a clam, playing with his fingers and talking happy little nonsense syllables. Doc, take a look at him. Make sure that he's okay physically. Check. If it's fright, his pulse will be way up. Mac, let me have your hand. That's a good fellow. Now. Good heavens. What is it? I, I've forgotten what the normal pulse rate is. Pulse. Pulse? Doc, let's get out of here. Brady, pick up MacIver and bring him back to the ship. Come on, let's get away from this tower. A few minutes later, Brady and I sat in the captain's quarters. He didn't do much talking, just sat and tipped his bottle to his lips ever so often. Well, 
least we know in a general way what we're up against. Do we? We know there's been knowledge lost, important information forgotten. Check. Now, that memory, that lost skill, that knowledge went somewhere. Maybe there's something in that tower that takes it away. And I have a silly feeling we might even get it back. Have a drink. That is, get a couple of men, volunteers. Now? Now. What for? We're going to find out what's inside that tower. Rotating infrared movie camera into the tower, took some pictures, and went back to the ship for a look. There was something in there, all right. Now, as far as we can determine, this thing we photographed is shaped like a watermelon standing on end. The movement of the hairs all over it suggests vibrations, such as an antenna of an insect. Underneath are wires leading to terminals that seemed plugged right into the thing. You think it's a form of life? My guess is a combination of living organism and machine. After all, man and machines work together. The difference is that man retains his individual identity. Well, since it doesn't locomote, somebody or something must have put it there. Exactly. It looks like some kind of communication organism. If it is, it's a communication machine that is built to take in information rather than pass it along. Doc, do you really think that egg in there has been stealing our memory? Why not? Because it's too... Too wild, that's why not. It's no wilder than a lot of other things we found. Say that that egg is a device for gathering knowledge. But there's no knowledge here to gather. I mean, how often does a ship land on an out-of-the-way melon like this? Wait a minute, Brady. Who says that knowledge has to be collected here? What? I said, why do we assume that knowledge has to be collected right here on Planet Nine? We forget things back on Earth, don't we? Good Lord. Suppose you were some race setting out fish traps for knowledge, and you had plenty of time to gather it. Where would you put your traps? On a planet swarming with intelligent beings where the traps would be found and destroyed or their secrets snatched away? Or would you put them out on some second-rate world where nobody would ever bother them? Good heavens, I'd pick a spot just like this. I think that some unknown race is bent on trapping knowledge throughout the galaxy. Ira, if, if what you say is true, if it is... Then every time someone on Earth forgets something, it's because one of these eggs has drained it out of them. Well, it's too fantastic. Have you got a better guess? No. The question is, what do we do next? If anybody gets near that egg, he winds up like some puling little baby. You were pretty near it that first day. Did you forget anything? How should I know? I was too pleasantly lit up on grain spirits to know the difference. Well, the question is still, what now? I'm going outside to think. Ira. Yes? There is one thing to keep in mind. What is that, Doc? If those are memory traps, then there must be a way for somebody to empty them. And if we're ever going to get away from here, what's gone in has got to come out. I stood out on the platform of the ship and tried to make some sort of pattern of it. Forgetfulness. That was the key word. All through the galaxy, in every culture, there was forgetfulness. There were lots of learned theories, of course, kinks in the brain, neuroses, data processing. But suppose they were wrong. Might it not be that forgetfulness was caused by thousands upon thousands of these memory traps planted throughout the galaxy nibbling away at the conscious memory of all the sentient beings that lived among the stars. 
On Earth, a man forgets slowly because the traps are far away. But here, in their very shadow, a man forgets suddenly. And then another thought entered my mind. What kind of race had set these traps? How did they empty them? How? How? Brady! Huh? Where do you keep your liquor? Not cheap. Come on, where? It's in my locker. Get it out of there, all of it. Ira... That's a direct order. Okay. All of it. That it? Yeah. I never thought I'd see the day when you pulled rank on me, Ira. If you confiscate this stuff, so help me, I'll never Who forget. said anything about confiscating? That is... Have you ever really hung one on... I mean, this high-eyed drunk? Now, let's see. Now, there was once on Mars. Was that the worst? It was beautiful. Took me three days to sober up. They say I fought off the whole galactic patrol for hours. Well, do you think you got enough here to get that polluted again? I got a pretty good supply, I Well, that's good, because in one minute, I'm going to give you a direct order to hang on the biggest, most monstrous drunk in the entire history of the universe. But first, you have to volunteer. I volunteer. No, 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 not until I explain why I'm doing this. Ira, this sort of project don't need reasons. It's a pleasure. Let me finish. You know that egg up in the tower? Yeah. The minute you get near it, it grabs your mind, wipes it clean, right? Yeah. And a lead space helmet doesn't shield you, as we saw with MacIver. Right. Now, Doc thinks this egg is a kind of communications thing. It must be. Okay, you're a communications man. What do you do when you can't shield the communication? Well, that's easy. You scramble it. Any fool knows. Holy mackerel. Exactly. Are you still game? You think it'll work? I don't know. I think it might. And suppose it doesn't. You're a babbling infant like Klein and MacIver. Yeah, if we don't stop that thing, it'll happen anyway. Unless we can remember how to start the engines. Okay, Ira. I'll do it. When do I start? Right now. Well, Ira, here's mud and your ever-loving intergalactic eyeballs. You know something? I'm beginning to like this mission already. Well, that kills the last bottle. How am I doing, our old buddy? You're not drunk enough. You could pick somebody like Doc, except he'd probably pass out. I'm not drunk enough, huh, old buddy pal? Not yet. Well, and in which case, old buddy, I'm going to have to do something I never like to have to do. What's that? I'm going to have to go into my extra special emergency reserve supply. The little supply I keep in case of getting marooned on a planet, you know? I don't like to go into it, but in this case, it's my duty. From Georgia Tech and a heck of an engineer, a rambling wreck from Georgia Tech and a heck of an engineer. Woo! Blast off! Yeah, okay, I guess you're ready. What do you think, Doc? Most amazing thing I've ever seen. Is he drunk enough? What I want to know is what's keeping him conscious. Okay, bad ears on your feet. Help him up, Doc. Right, right. Rambling wreck from Georgia Tech. Let's go, bad ears. Right. Rambling wreck from Georgia Tech. <laughs> Thank you. 
Somehow, we pushed, hauled, and stumbled Battier's Brady out of the ship and up the rocks to the egg tower. We erected a tripod over the hole with a block and tackle, passed a rope around Brady's chest, and hauled him over the entrance to the tower. There he swung like some overstuffed pig, singing raucously under the eerie moonlight. Rambling right from Georgia Tech! Well, what do you say, Ira? You got the earphones on him so they can't slip off? They're on. I guess we're ready to lower him. Ira! Yep. You sure? It's a man's life. I'm not sure, Doc. But as commander of this expedition, I sometimes have to risk the lives of my men. Okay, Ira. Lower away before I start to get sober! Lower away! Blast off! Fire one! Fire two! Good luck, Brady. Good luck. He's at the bottom, Ira. That is, can you hear me? Get your hands out of my hair. Something's got his hands in my hair, Ira. Oh, the thing must be picking at his brain. Brady, Brady, listen to me. Do you see the egg? See, that's my buddy, Ira. My little egghead buddy. You and me buddies, egghead, right? <laughs> Have a drink. Oh, good Lord, he's got a bottle with him. Pouring it on the egg. Brady, Brady, listen to me. The wires. Wires? The lead wires you took in with you. Yeah. Pull out the studs on the egg and hook your wires to it. You got that? Ah, uh, just a minute. Me and Egg are gonna have a drink. Oh, good heavens. It's no use, Ira. He's too drunk to know what he's doing. I'll try again. Brady, listen. Your friend, the egg, can't hear you, see? He can't have a drink until you hook your wires into him. You got that? Sure, that's an awful thing. That's dreadful. Okay, okay. What's he doing? Doc, you getting any impulses? Not a thing. Maybe we better haul him out. If he starts to sober up... Maybe we'd better. Okay, one, two... No, wait a minute, wait. wait. What? I'm getting something, Ira. What? This is fantastic. Oh, I'm getting something. All right, haul him out, quick. Come on. Rambling Rex from Georgia Tech. Rambling Ready. Ready, are you all right? Doc, help me. Take a look at him. Is he okay? Yes, he's okay. Just passed out. Let's get him back to the ship. Right. You know what, Ira? What? Tomorrow about 9 a.m., we're going to be in on the most colossal hangover in the history of mornings after. in on more than Doc Spencer had bargained for, more than any human being had any business being in on. Oh. Well, Brady, how do you feel? Shooting. You turned the trick, trick, the tower. You hooked into the egg. The stuff is rolling out now. Doc and the boys have got a recording hooked up. The stuff they're listening in on is enough to set your teeth on edge. What's that? The information that mind trap has been collecting for hundreds of years. It'll take us years to sort it out, but we're getting some of it straight already. Any of our own stuff? Plenty. Anything on engines? Well, not on our engines. So? We got the dope on the junkyard engine. Mac and the boys are helping to get it assembled. We're ripping out our own engines and just keeping some of the parts. Another junkyard, huh? Another junkyard. The engine we're building now is superior to anything ever built. Pretty handy little gadget, that egg. Only one thing. What's that? Tell Doc if he comes across a good hangover remedy to let me know, huh? Oh. It 
took us about six days to assemble new engines using some of our parts and some of the advanced designs from the junkyard. During most of that time, Doc Spencer sat down at the tower with a set of headphones monitoring the information from the aid. He was like a man possessed. I didn't think anything unnatural was happening until the night of the sixth day. Well, that does it. The boys have got the engines ready for blast-off. Uh, there's a full moon, too. We should be able to lift her by tomorrow morning, huh? We're blasting off in exactly one minute, that is. What? In exactly one minute. But Ira, Doc, and some of the techno boys are down monitoring that egg. I know it. Well, it'll take them 20 minutes to get back into the ship with all that equipment. They're not getting back. Huh? I said they're not getting back. Ira, are you nuts? Come here, that is. I want you to take a look through this field scope. You can get a good close-up of Doc and the boys who have been monitoring that egg. Where do I get it focused? Got him? Yeah. Take a close-up. Mother in heaven. You see why we have to leave them here? Their faces, they're like... like some kind of beast. What is it, Ira? What's happened to them? The same thing that must have happened to the crew of the last ship that kept you. The same thing that made them blast out of it in such a tearing hurry. What? That is... There isn't only knowledge in that thing. Those boys are monitoring something else. Mm-hmm. Personality, that is. They're not human anymore. They're turning alien. They were still there when the ship roared up away from Planet Nine and pointed her silver nose toward Earth. We could see them in the scopes. A group of tiny figures crouched over the recording equipment. Their earphones plugged into the egg. They didn't even look up when we blasted off. They were no longer human now. They were something else. Something a million light years old. And of another world. have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Stay tuned for The Red Skelton Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Red Skelton Show. cigarette program starring Red Skelton, Dave Rose and his orchestra, our singing star Anita Ellis, Verna Felton, Lorene Tuttle, Pat McGeehan, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. From Metro-Golden-Mayer, we present the star of the Raleigh cigarette program, Red Skelton. Ladies and gentlemen, hiya, Rod. Hiya, Red. Say, this is National Newsboy Week, and we have as honored guest tonight newsboys representing the 32 papers in this district. That's right. These fellows here tonight competed in a contest to see who rated the highest average in sales, and the boys with the highest mark got a special prize. And these newsboys got to come to the Red Skelton broadcast. No, they got the booby prize. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, being a newsboy is a great profession, Red. Many of our national figures got their start that way. Yeah, I'll never forget my corner. He used to stand here yell, extra, extra. He always yelled, extra, extra. Of course, I charged six cents for a paper. You know. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I had a racket selling uh-huh. papers. I used to stand on the corner and yell, read all about it. Twenty-nine people swindle, read all about it. Guy'd buy a paper and he'd read it and he looked through it and he'd say, I don't see anything about 29 people's so I said, I know. <laughs> read all about a 30 people swindle. <laughs> Making notes down there. <laughs> you know, I had a paper route when I was a kid. Yeah, me too, you know. Oh, many's the time I couldn't deliver the paper, and my mother would uh, deliver it for me, you know. That's where they got the old saying, does your mother know your route? <laughs> I'm proud of that. That ain't <laughs> Well, anyhow, mother would get on my bicycle, and uh, uh, mother would get on the bicycle, and um, well, go ahead. Well, I'm lost, and I can't remember the answer. No, I she couldn't write it anyhow. Go ahead. <laughs> well, the newsboys certainly render a great service to our nation. You said it. If it weren't for the uh, that morning paper delivered, why this country's uh, divorce rate would double. Well, how do you figure? Well, a fella uh, gets up in the morning, he's got his paper there at the breakfast table. If Without it, he'd just have to sit there and look at his wife. <laughs> and the way some of the women look at the look at the breakfast table, I tell you, well, it's ABC. Figure it out for yourself. <laughs> well, all kidding aside, I think any boy who delivers the newspapers realizes the true meaning of freedom. You said it, brother, and Winchell didn't do bad with it the other night either. <laughs> You know, a free opinion is really a wonderful thing. For example, this morning I read each of the 32 newspapers that these young men represent, and each paper agreed on one thing. What was that, Red? Today is September the 30th. (laughs) And now, Anita Ellis, what are you going to sing, honey? Body and Thank you. 
Milton Scrapbook of Satire, Volume 3. You can take five. I think they're awake again now. (laughs) And now, Chapter 3 of Radio's first nighttime serial, uh, The Life of a Fireman. This one's entitled Fire Prevention. Lombardi. <laughs> yes, sir, boy, here I am, nature's gift to mankind. <laughs> Only thing they ain't take the wrappings off yet. <laughs> well, sir, here it is, the last day of September, and tomorrow will be the first of October. <laughs> That's quite a coincidence. <laughs> I remember the same thing happened last year. Yeah, what do you want, Ma? Well, come here. I don't want the whole neighborhood to know our business. No. <laughs> come in, Mater. What do you want, Ma? Clem, did you go down to see about that dog catcher's job? I sure did. Well, what happened? They locked me up with the mongrels. Clem, how stupid can you get? Well, I don't know. I ain't really put my mind to it yet. <laughs> what do you want to see me about, Mother? Well, look it. A man was here. <laughs> Listen, Clem. Yeah? A man was here from the fire department yesterday. <laughs> he said this house is a fire hazard and all the trash has got to go. <laughs> he said all the trash has to go? Yes. Does that mean that Peter will be leaving? Well, he said slums was caused by laziness. Yeah, well, of all the insulting things. That's just what I told him. I ain't been so insulted since the day you was born. Oh, boy, I'll bet that made him mad. Well, it... It didn't show if it did. I also told him that it's not my fault we live in such a rubbish heap. It's because I've got such a lazy, no-good, stupid son. Oh, you didn't tell him that. I most certainly did. Well, you might give the folks the wrong impression of me, you know. They might think you're kidding and you're not. Clean up a little around here. Okay, I'll start by picking up this bit of string here on the ground. Mm. Mm. It's resisting me. Clem, that string is your own shoelace. <laughs> Must be a raveling from my long underwear because I ain't wearing any shoes. <laughs> hey, look, here comes a red automobile. Well, how gaudy can people get, anyhow? Oh, that's a fire truck. Good. That's what they use to go to blazes. Mm-hmm. 
It's used to go to blazes. Go to blazes. It's a fine way for a mother to talk to her son. I figured I could make something out of that. Howdy duty. Howdy. Are you Mr. Fiddlechopper? The name ain't Fiddlechopper, it's Cadiddlehopper. How do you spell Cadiddlehopper? Hmm? How do you spell Cadiddlehopper? Say, Fiddlechopper ain't a bad name of that, is it? You can call me Smitty if you want to, you know. Uh, what do you want, neighbor? Well, I'm here to give you a final warning about these fire hazards. Yeah? There's really no excuse for it except plain laziness and carelessness. Now, you aren't lazy. You want to bet? <laughs> Don't be too sure. This just happens to be my day to stand up. You know, Clem, if I didn't see you, I, I wouldn't believe you. Well, I've looked in the mirror and I ain't convinced myself. Look, Clem, I'm going to leave this pamphlet about fire prevention with oh. you, and I want you to digest every word of it. Well, I'll try. Food's so high, I'll eat anything now. <laughs> I want you to read it. Maybe it'll smarten you up on fire prevention. Me read this pamphlet here? That's right. You want me to read it, huh? That's right. You sure you got the right house? <laughs> Look, I, I know how to take precautions. When I build a fire in a fireplace, I always put newspapers down to keep the sparks from going on the rug. Yes, sir, boy. And I never throw a lighted cigarette away. I swallow it. Doesn't that make you awfully sick? It helps. You have your incinerator a safe distance from the house. Well, of course. You think I'm stupid? Don't have a insinuator right up here with a house. Got it out there next to the garage, see? Against the garage? Yeah. Well, don't burn anything in the incinerator until you move it away from the garage. Well, I already burned some stuff this morning, some incidentals like kerosene rags and small twenty-two caliber bullets. Using them. Good heavens. What happened? Hmm? What happened? Well, should I know? I've been too busy building a new garage. <laughs> Clem, uh, what's in those cans over there? Well, one of them cans has got kerosene in it, and the other one's got gasoline in it for the tractor. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you know which is which? Well, it's very simple. I just pour one of them into the tractor, and, and, and then I take a swig out of the other one. <laughs> and if the tractor don't go, boy, you ought to see me plow up that 48. <laughs> Mrs. Cadiddlehopper, what kind of a stove do you cook on? Well, we've got a gas stove, but it's not too good. <laughs> Every time I cook on it, the flames shoot out and send some of my hair off. Yeah, about three more pork chops, and we're going to start calling her Mount Baldy. <laughs> That's too fast for a mole. He didn't get it. <laughs> the gas was leaking awful bad, but my boy Clem fixed that. Yep, I fixed it. There's not a sign of gas now. How'd you do it? Didn't pay the bill. Well, uh, as a public servant, I want to give you a little advice. Oh? You should check everything that endangers your life as well as community property. Oh? And above all, clean up the trash in this yard. Mm. It only takes a few minutes to be neat. Well, you know, now that makes sense. There's no sense to be for slums and stuff like that. 
And I'm one of the guys that's causing it. I'll have this stuff cleaned up in no time. Oh, thanks, Clem. Your neighbors will appreciate it, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, <clears throat> Clem, if you're going to burn anything in the yard, no matter what it is, be sure and connect up your garden hose. Or have a bucket of water handy, just in case. Okie okay, K, okay, okie okay. K. Well, now to clean up around here. Oh, this is the way we sweep the yard, sweep the yard, sweep the yard. Well, let's see. What's the worst piece of rubbish laying around here? Well, let's see. I'll have to forget that. I won't fit in that insinuator. <laughs> Incinerator. Boy, you give them writers a raise, they'll buy a dictionary every time. <laughs> well, I'll just start here by tearing down this old awning. I'll just rip it down. You know? Well, now, I don't know whether that was my overhauls or the awning. <laughs> well, either way, it got kind of cooler all of a sudden. Dave Rose and his orchestra play his arrangement of humorous from the motion picture Joan Crawford. <laughs>
chapter three in the scrapbook is entitled, The Babysitter. Topsy-turvy tone! <laughs> Mummy! Namor! I is here! Yoo-hoo, you stinker tones! Well, here I is, all alone! <laughs> we know what that means, don't we? <laughs> well, oh, look, the telephone, the telephone. Mummy and Namor says not to talk on it, you know. But how would they know? <laughs> maybe they have the wires tapped. <laughs> then again, maybe they don't have them. Then again, maybe they don't. Then again, I don't know why I'm so concerned about it. I'm going to do it anyhow. <laughs> oh, boy, I wonder who I'll tap this time. I think I'll call up the Hollywood Bowl and ask them if they need any pin boys over there. Junior. We can pull Inner's the heavy. So, you've been talking on that telephone again. Well, what makes you think I had? What's that you're holding in your hand? Me bubble gun. The other hand. Well, what do you know the telephone? <laughs> now, who stuck that thing in me hand when I wasn't listening? Well, you come into my room where I can keep an eye on you. Okay. Oh, boy, you should have been with me. I was down the street and I was playing yes, down And Skip fell in the mud puddle. Of course, I help him alone. Sit down, sit down. Sit down. <laughs> Just sit down while I put my makeup on. Okay. You know, I like to watch you get yourself all pretty. Do you What are you putting that grease on your face for? Does it squeak? <laughs> My face with cold cream. Well, why don't you wash it? I do wash, but this keeps the wrinkles away. That's just supposed to keep the wrinkles away? Yes. I got news for you, kiddo. <laughs> you had better go down to the corner store and get double you money back. Anyway, it keeps the crow's feet away from my eyes. Yeah, it might keep the crow's feet away from your eyes, but it don't do much with that pelican's beak under your chin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now, you're going right. to get it. Don't you touch me. Don't you hit me. You lay a mitt on me, I tell. You tell what? Oh, oh I know all about you, kiddo. <laughs> you just as much as touch me with your little pinky. That's all. <laughs> Just go ahead. Boy, I will tell on you. I tell everybody that you used to be the sword swallower with a sideshow. Why, I was no such thing. Oh, no. no. Hey, Bernie, you want another sword? No, give me a table knife. I'm on a diet. <laughs> I'm going to tell your mother on you. Now you'll have to crawl under the bed to get me, though. <laughs> No, you won't tell her either because you're too sweet for that. You're too kind because you know she gets me a spanking and you're just a sweet old orchid gatherer. You wouldn't do the thing like that. Oh, well then, just behave. Okay. <laughs> they sure fall for that muffled duffel, don't they? <laughs> hey, what you getting all dressed up for? Where are you going? To a gin rummy party with your mother and I dread it. Well, if you don't want to go, why don't you let Grandpa go? Oh, he can't play gin. Well, let him take it some other way. <laughs> Who's going to take care of me? The babysitter. You mean that big fat girl that lives in our icebox? 
Boy, what a wacket she's got. All she does for 50 cents an hour is to put me to bed and then go down and raid the icebox, you know. And she sits around reading them mushy love stories all the time. Don't bring good literature, you know, like Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and such like that. The mushy love stories she brings. And then once in a while she gets reading real interested like that and she jumps up in the air and screams, you know. Well, what does she scream about? The hot food I give her. She put you to bed. Yeah, so did she. <laughs> hey, why don't you stay with me now, Mo? I don't like her. I, I only like her just half. I mean, half I like her and half I don't. But the half I don't is bigger than the half I does. Well, I'd love to, dear, but there's no way out of it. Oh, you just mean you don't love me no more, well, that's I, all. I do love you, Junior. Why, you're my whole life. Yeah, then why are you always saying you'll be the death of me yet? <laughs> I know your type. You're just fickle, that's all, you know. I, I know the way you feel about me, okay. You go your way, and I'll go my way. And I'll get in trouble before you. <laughs> now, you stop acting so silly. Yeah, take me with you, will no, you? No, I can't. You're too little to stay up late. Well, you can tell everybody I was a midget. Tell them I do husband. Tell them I took a bath in alum and I shrunk. <laughs> no, they'd never believe you. No, well, maybe I could shave and grow a mustache or something. Oh, you're too young to have a mustache. Oh, I don't know. I got a little fuzz on my lip now. What? Yes. Let's see. Oh, Junior, you do have fuzz on your lip. Oh, what's your mother going to do? Oh, probably hide the peaches where I can't reach them. <laughs> Oh, yes, Mummy, doll. Oh, you look so pretty today. Oh, do you really think I'm pretty, dear? Yes, I does. I love your long golden hair and the short black roots. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mummy. Why, hey, Mummy, can Nemo stay home with me tonight? She no, tells dear. Me to... No, the babysitter's coming. Well, you better tell her to stop sitting on this baby or she's going to get stuck with a pin. And Junior, while we're on the subject, I want you to be nicer to her when she's here. Uh-huh. Last time you pulled her hair. Well, how did I know it was going to come off? <laughs> Goodness, you know, I, I was nice. I always removed my hat before I bite that babysitter. I had to push Oh, gentleman. Junior, you must be good now. Uh-huh. And another thing, before you go to sleep, don't forget to say your prayers. I'll say them. Did you say your prayers last night? Yes, ma'am. I didn't hear you. I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Talking stupid. Well, now, I is not stupid. I is smart. You just asked me a question. All right. If there were four pieces of cake in the cupboard and you ate yeah. one, what would you have? A spanky. <laughs> that proves you're stupid. The answer is not a spanky. It isn't. Well, that was the answer yesterday afternoon, Kato. <laughs> Junior, come away from that fishbowl. You know, I can't figure it out. Them fish stay down in that water all day long and they never drown. Fish, fish do fine underwater. They yeah. breathe it through their gills. Through their gills? Screen actors? <laughs> hey, I want a pair of gills <laughs> I want a pair of gills so I can breathe underwater, oh, too Oh, Junior, now don't be silly No, I want a pair of gills I want a pair of gills <laughs> Well, at least I got something, anyhow <laughs> Look at that silly fish And <laughs> stop making faces at the goldfish They started it <laughs> It's no wonder we can't keep a babysitter Well, I don't care I'd better stay by myself, anyhow Give me the 50 cents You folks don't love me anymore, anyhow I could just stay here and, and, and play with a mattress And burn the house down. I could barbecue myself. That's what I could do. Hot Dog Junior, they would call me. And I would get myself all barbecued and I'd crawl inside a loaf of bread and sprinkle myself with mustard and... Oh, no, no, no. What's the matter? I scared me down. Oh, baby. Yes, yeah, Bless his little heart. Yeah, bless his little heart. I don't like that baby because she don't like me. And you'll have to try to make her like it. Now, here's what I want you to do, too. You were bad the last time she was here. Yeah. So when she gets here tonight, yeah. I want you to kiss her 
And tell her you're sorry. Well, I will not do it. <laughs> I will not kiss her. I know she's pretty, but I don't want to kiss her. Why? Well, because come outside now. I tell you, I don't what? want I don't want your mother to hear this. She's at the age where she picks things up. We'll be right back now. Now, what's he up to? Mother, would you mind taking care of Junior? Not going to the party tonight. I'd love to take care yes. of him. Where's the phone? Here it is. How come it's off the hook? I had it ready for you an hour ago. Oh, oh, operator! Why doesn't she answer? Well, you're talking in the ear part. You're oh. talking in the ear. Operator, operator, four nine three six. I'm sorry you had to give up your evening, Emma. It's a pleasure, yes, dear. Hello, Agnes. You don't have to bother coming over to take care of Junior tonight. Goodbye. It worked, it worked, it worked. <laughs> what else? It worked. What on earth did you tell her? Well, when she said I had to kiss the babysitter, okay. I said to her, I'm not going to kiss her because she might slap me the way she did Pop. Oh, Junior. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> You're kidding. Oh, you keep laughing. <laughs> you better have Pop to do the same thing. Too. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's yours truly, Johnny Dollar, followed by The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.